way back when in the fall, we were exploring some of what makes us tick as a community. We were exploring uh, part of our motto to be a community of misfits on a mission and part of our mission statement to be a new people rooted in Christ. We had a series called Radical, spelled like the term from botany. Uh, to mean a, the part of a plant that becomes the primary root, not the other radical. Um, well, that's just the first part of our mission. There's two other parts of our mission. There is to passionately love God and to purposefully seek the renewal of our, of our city. And so from now until Easter, uh, we're going to have two new teaching series. The first will be called Adore. And Adore is going to home in on the second major emphasis of our mission, the part about, being, about passionately loving God. We're going to explore questions and biblical teaching around worship, the nature of worship, the presence of God, the use of charismatic gifts in worship, the relationship between worship and food, and the relationship between worship and justice. And that's going to lead into the next series, which will go all, up, all the way up until Easter uh, and Holy Week, called Love in Public, which speaks of the last part of our mission, uh, to purposefully seek the renewal of our city. In this series, we're going to explore themes related to justice, evangelism, mission, and the common good. And the name of this series comes from uh, a quote that I think about often. It's from Dr. Cornell West. Cornell West said, never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. So both of these series are going to be highly applicable. Uh, we're going to work on ways to practice what we're learning immediately. Uh, because ultimately, practice without theological grounding is, can devolve into just ritual. But uh, theology without practice is just theory. So we need both. Um, the goal of Christian theology are the practices that make us more human and make us more whole. So we're going to learn new practices and we're going to uh, implement those practices and apply those practices in real time. So the Adore series begins next week, and, but this week we are focusing on Epiphany. It's Epiphany Sunday, uh, which is um, the culmination of the, what's called the cycle of light. Advent begins the, the light kind of metaphor, breaking in, and then Christmas, and Epiphany is the culmination of that. In Advent, we look at the, we look at the time and the space. Uh, we, we, we lament. We, uh, we join with ancient Israel in thinking about the coming of the Messiah. We join with all who are experiencing suffering and injustice. And in Christmas, we celebrate the light breaking in to that darkness. And in Epiphany, we celebrate that light being revealed to all the nations. So last week... We looked at the story of Jesus' birth in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, I wanted us to peer more deeply into the story, to look at it from another perspective. And to look at some of the ways that Western culture tends to sanitize and domesticate that story. Stripping it of its revolutionary socio-political power and whitewashing the cultural and ethnic uh, particularities. This week, we're going to take a second look at that same passage, um, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective. We're going to look at a different set of characters from Herod and the Holy Family, and we're going to take a different interpretive approach. So last week was sort of like 
historical and cultural questions. This week we're going to take a bit of an allegorical approach. We're going to ask, what might the journey of the Magi have to say about our own journeys in life? Especially the journey of faith. So for reasons that should become clear soon, I've titled this message, Epiphany, the Pilgrimage of Faith. But before we dive back into Matthew chapter 2, would you join me in a prayer for illumination? Holy Spirit of God, we, we pray for the illumination of our hearts and our minds, the opening of this text in a way that will inform and guide and inspire and transform. We pray that as, uh, as we peer into the scriptures, that your Holy Spirit would be guiding us, moving us, changing us. Lord, I pray for uh, each one of us in this room, that, and each one, I guess, watching, um, that we would be thinking about how you are at work in our lives, seeing you at work in our lives, and hoping to follow you, hoping to, um, to be guided by your Spirit. Empower us with courage to take risky moves, to, uh, to reach out in faith and to move out in faith from where is comfortable, from where is familiar, to where you are leading us next. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all those people said? Amen. Amen. All right, let's look again at Matthew chapter 2. You can follow along in your own translation of the Bible if you have one on a smartphone or one of those analog books. Or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Uh, I think this is the NIV, is that right? Yep, NIV. Starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found, from, from, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. He's lying. So, uh, after, he heard, after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They were op uh, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The word of the Lord. <laughs> so, as I said before, uh, Epiphany is a season when the church celebrates the revelation of Jesus, not only as the Jewish Messiah, but also as the Lord of all ethnic groups. And this begins with the Magi from the East. Um, we don't know a whole lot about the Magi. 
We know that there probably wasn't three of them, although there were three gifts. And we know that they probably weren't kings. Um, they were probably uh, court magicians in some sort of royal capacity, maybe like, a, like the Ethiopian eunuch or something like that. Um, we know that they were astrologers, probably uh, Zoroastrian. Zoroastrianism was a religion related to Judaism, but comes out of Babylon and Persia, that area. And, uh, but there's not a whole lot we know about the Magi. Um, we know, however, that they represent the Gentiles, the, the nations coming to worship Jesus. And um, the Magi receive and respond to the revelation of God through nature, through the star, through the heavens, which could have been a constellation of some kind. Uh, we don't know exactly. Um, but they also, they also receive revelation through the Hebrew scriptures that augment this journey uh, through the scribes and the priests, the high priests. They complete a long pilgrimage to Bethlehem and they pay homage to baby Jesus. But I'm less interested this week in these sort of like historical, cultural questions or these like facts. I'm more interested in um, what this journey might have to say to us about journeys in our lives. Especially, particularly, the journey of faith itself. So in a metaphorical sense, we're all on a journey, right? Journeying through life. Um, and the journey of faith is particularly applicable to this Magi journey because the journey of faith has Christ as its goal, right? Greek has a word for this. In Greek, we call this the telos. It's the word from which we get telephone, telescope. It's the aim, the goal, the destination. Uh, it's the direction that we're headed in. And Jesus is our telos and the journey of faith. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we place our destiny in God's hands. And in essence, we're saying, I will go wherever you lead me. And I will do and say whatever you tell me to do and say. That's the journey of a Jesus disciple. So this journey metaphor uh, is powerful. I think it, it, it has explanatory power. It has a way of uh, helping us grasp this. But for me, in my own journey, it's been quite literal. I have been on a quite literal journey of faith, which began in my hometown uh, in Illinois, where I came to faith at 16 and was discipled in a, in a church there by loving pastors and, and mentors. I felt called to move to New Orleans at 19. Very little money, uh, very little support network. Didn't know, didn't know anybody uh, in, in New Orleans. But my discernment process was confirmed. I prayed, I sought wise counsel, many godly mentors confirmed that this was the right move for me. So I moved to, to New Orleans when I was 19. And uh, that was where I pretty much thought I was going to live for the rest of my life. You know how you, you set out on your journey and you think, this is it, I've arrived. This is where I'm meant to be. Well, some of you already know that Katrina had different plans for me and my family. Um, we were uprooted very abruptly and really didn't know what was going to happen next. <laughs> That's my little fledgling family when we were in New Orleans. 
Tyson loves that picture. <laughs> um, and uh, through prayer and through wise counsel and through some necessity, we made our way to Boston after Katrina, which was a very unique leg of the journey. Neither one of us had ever been, uh, never lived on the East Coast. I'd never been east of Ohio before moving to Boston. Um, but we built a life there, and after five, six years, it started to feel like home. Boston really, really, really felt like home for us. Um, and uh, we had two more kids. I finished seminary, and we started planning a church. That was when we first got to Boston. Here's that at the end. No, 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 no. Too, too fast. There we go. <laughs> this is at the end in Boston. Uh, we had two more kids. Then in 2015, our journey led us to Los Angeles. A literal journey across the country. And... Uh, we, by this point, I felt like a pro at this like cross-country thing, you know. Moving to, moving to Los Angeles, I felt like a cultural anthropologist. I was like, I'm going to study these people. I'm going to study their cultures. Um, but we began to build close relationships there, too. And uh, I, I served as a pastor there. Oshita wrote her first book there. And so, once again, started to feel like home. Another leg of our journey, but maybe this is where we're meant to be. Of course... That we, here I am today, so obviously not. Um, I think most of you know this, but I'll say it again. Uh, Oshita said, wherever we move next, I want to settle down roots. Yeah. So God has a sense of humor. Um, but I show you, yeah. But I show you this, uh, I show you this to, to illustrate that for me, the journey of faith has, has literally been a journey all over, and through different stages of life, through different you know, stages in our family's development, different roles in ministry. Um, but even if that hasn't been your story, even if you are born and raised in St. Paul, if this is your hometown and you've never left, faith itself is a journey, right? Because growing in trust growing in our trust of God, growing in our capacity to love others, allowing the Holy Spirit to work on our characters, living into our unique callings, all of this is part of the journey of faith. And so, um, the journey of faith requires that all of us launch out, in a sense, into unfamiliar territory. You may have to come out of your comfort zone you may have to explore new, new uh, vistas. And that's why I think the journey of the Magi is very, is very apropos. I think it's very uh, informative. The journey of the Magi is like an archetype of the journey of faith. It's a journey in which we can derive important insights and more importantly, questions about the journey of faith. What does this mean? What could this say to us? One of the phrases, when I think about the journey of the Magi, one of the phrases that sticks out to me and causes me to ask a lot of questions is this phrase at the end of chapter 2. They returned to their country by another route. The question that this brings up in my mind is, am I prepared to allow God to change my plans? Am I prepared 
to journey by another route. To be redirected by God. Sometimes in the journey of faith there are unexpected detours. Like Hurricane Katrina, for example. Sometimes there are layovers. Times when you expected to move on, but you remain in the same place. Sometimes in the journey of faith there are alternative destinations. New destinations that you never knew you were headed towards when you started. Like any relationship, our relationship with God has to develop. And in that development, there are twists and turns, hills and valleys. That's just like any relationship, right? With any relationship, even with a close friend, even with a spouse, your relationship continues to grow and evolve. We're on a journey of discovery, not just about God, but about ourselves and about others, about community. In my journey of faith, uh, I have changed. A lot. Um, Some of you know that I'm passionate about the church calendar. (laughs) I bring it up a lot. And that wasn't always the case. There was a time when I felt like the church calendar was worthless. A waste of time. A distraction from the important parts of faith. That's changed quite a bit in my journey. Uh, Another thing that's changed quite a bit in my journey is... uh, the way that I view traditional worship practices. I used to think that they were dead, empty rituals. And I used to be pretty harsh about it. That my faith was vibrant and alive. I had a spontaneous, charismatic faith. But those people just, you know, genuflect and go through their signs and rituals. And But now, I, I deeply appreciate traditional worship practices. I feel like they inculcate values and even vision in my faith. Uh, Some of you know that when I started on my journey of faith, I was a fundamentalist. A Bible-thumping, complementarian. I believe that women should be submitted to men in all things. That's changed quite a bit. Ask Oshida. I could go on and on. In my journey of faith, there's been a lot of twists and turns. A lot of new destinations that I didn't even know I was headed towards. A lot of hills and valleys. Um, in all of our journeys, we can see more clearly in hindsight how much we've changed than we can in anticipation. Isn't that right? There's a guy at, uh, at Harvard named Daniel Gilbert, and he did a study of 19,000 people. And um, he discovered what he calls the end of history illusion. This is the end of history illusion. That no matter what age we're at, people act as if history has shaped them and then ended, leaving them in their final form. So this is what he says. He says, It's not that we don't realize that change happens because we all admit at every age that a lot of change has happened in the past 10 years. It's that all of us seem to have this sense that development is a process that has delivered us to this point and now we're done. Because if you ask somebody how much have you changed over the last 10 years, they're likely to say, a lot. I'm like a different person than I was 10 years ago, right? 
but ask them, how much do you expect to change in the next 10 years? Oh, none. None. I'm not going to change it. <laughs> how realistic is that? Right? The longer we're on this journey of faith, the harder it becomes to imagine how much we're going to change in the next season of our lives. But the longer we're on this journey of faith, the more clearly we can see how far we've already traveled and how much we've already changed. So I wonder if you took a moment right now to reflect back on the last 10 years of your journey. Wherever that's led you, whatever changes have come about, I wonder if you would easily acknowledge how much you've changed, but then if I were to ask you how much do you now expect to change in the next 10 years, how many of you would be excited about that too? Or does that feel a little scary? If I'm honest with you, looking back over how much I've changed the past 10 years, that makes the next 10 years pretty scary. I mean, do you want to be a completely different person? No, like we're pretty happy with who we are, right? But the reality is, this journey of faith is not changing us into people that we don't want to be. It's changing us into who we're truly meant to be. Changing us into our best selves. Into the people that God has wanted us to be. Sometimes when we reach our goal, uh, a goal in our journey, it wasn't what we expected when we started out. We told ourselves, if I can just get there, right? Wherever there is for you. If I could just get that job, if I could just meet that person, if I could just get to this stage in our relationship, maybe it's marriage, if I could just get there, then everything will be good. Then I'll be set. I'll be financially secure, or I'll be relationally secure. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is that just me? Okay, all right, good. Um, I'm talking about that sense of finality, that sense of arriving somewhere. Now I've arrived. You know, it's funny because um, there was a time when I felt like I wasn't, my writing, my, my theological writing wasn't being taken seriously. And I thought to myself, that's all going to change when I finish seminary. When I graduate from seminary, then people will really take me seriously, right? Do you know how untrue that is? It's really, really untrue. Like, it doesn't matter how many degrees you get, how much Greek or Hebrew or whatever you know, how many classes you've taught, even how many books you've written. Your barber will always know more about the Bible than you. That's what I've, that's what I've discovered. Because they have YouTube and Wikipedia. So, um, you and I think that we can just get to a place that we're striving for, that our deepest desires will be met. Only to find out when we get there that God has something entirely different in, in store for us. This is one of those parts of the story of the Magi that I really wish the inspired authors of Scripture would have given us a little more detail. Like, this is what I want to know. What I want to know is, these Magi, right? I'm imagining they're pretty wealthy. I'm imagining if you could take a journey that far and bring such extravagant gifts, you're probably wealthy. I'm, I'm wondering, when they arrived at this place, and they discovered the king of the Jews in this lowest of stations, in this humblest of circumstances, were they disappointed? 
they show up and go, what? Like, what is this? Did they show up and go, this was all a waste? Were they frustrated? Were they upset? Or, I also want to know, did they, did they realize, wow, I was all wrong. What I was looking for was not what God wanted to show me. My expectations were here, and God wanted to take me here. I'm going to let you in on something. Uh, I don't think everybody knows this, but um, before I accepted the call to come here to Pastor Roots, uh, I was candidating for a, a, another church. And it was, a, it was a church that I had my, my heart set on. I felt like the stars aligned, and uh, this, was, this was where I was meant to be. And when they said that they had gone with another candidate, I was devastated. Completely devastated. You can ask Oshida. And um, I remember people that loved me and was praying for me, they said, God must have something better for you. And I'll be honest with you, I thought they were full of it. <laughs> I was like, that is what you say to people to make them feel better. And that's nonsense. Um, because I literally could not imagine anything better than this. Like, my imagination was so focused on that, that it was like tunnel vision. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, uh, God is my witness as I stand here. I could not have imagined loving a church the way I love Roots. I'm not, I'm not saying that to butter you up. I'm really not. I'm saying that because I could have never imagined this. It was not even in my, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a possibility to me, Right? Um, I never could imagine loving St. Paul, loving you guys, loving, you know, this place. Like, I really could not have seen any of this coming. And that's, I guess that's the point, right? The point is, God has something in store for us that we couldn't imagine. That's why we're on this journey of faith, by faith. Um, I can confidently tell you, just from experience, that God may have something way better in your life than you can imagine. You might think, if I could just get that thing, if I could just get there, then all my problems would be solved. And God may be like, are you serious? You would settle for that? You would settle for that little scrap of a future when I have so much more in store for you. This journey of faith has taught me that I have to rely on God. That I don't know what's best for me. I really don't. It's taught me that, well, when I lost everything in Katrina, it taught me that I don't need those things. The things that I thought were absolutely essential, I didn't need them. And people showed up that I never imagined would help me on my journey. People showed up and, and provided for me because of God, not because of me. I learned that God does show up when we need him. Um, oftentimes in ways that we couldn't have imagined. The journey of the Magi shows us that there's a difference between an ordinary journey and a pilgrimage. And I think the, the primary difference, the primary distinction between an ordinary journey and a pilgrimage is are our eyes tuned to see what God is doing in the midst of that journey? Like our, our spiritual eyes, our, the eyes of our, of our hearts, are they open? 
Are we expectant and ready and willing to be changed by God? That's what transforms a journey into a pilgrimage. Right? Because two people can make the same journey and only one of them will take a pilgrimage. Right? You and I could both go to Jerusalem and one of us could be there to sightsee and one of us could be there to find God and to be transformed. The question I've learned to ask from spiritual direction, have you ever had spiritual direction? One of the questions that you're asked in spiritual direction is, where do you see God at work? Look for where you see God at work. That's kind of like the question that that transforms a journey into a pilgrimage. Where do you see God at work in your life right now? Sometimes on our journeys, we encounter obstacles. And they look like they're going to prevent us from getting to that place, that there. But in fact, they are God's vehicle for getting us to His there. You see that? Sometimes what appears to be a setback is actually a catapult. Or what appears to be a detour is actually putting you on the right path. We can reach a place in our journeys where we become utterly afraid to take the next step. We can reach a place of anxiety, a place of fear. And I've been in that place more than a few times. Um, Maybe you're in that place this morning, I don't know. Maybe there's some uh, decision, some transition, some relationship, something that needs to change. But we're in the midst of that scary time. We're in the midst of that transition season. Here's what I've learned. And, and this is, I'm, I promise you, I'm not teaching this as if it's not difficult. It's very, very, very difficult. But what I've learned is that I have to look back. I have to remember. Remembering is a powerful way to build our faith to take the next step of the journey. We look back over our lives where God has taken us in the past where God has showed up in the past, and we remember that God is faithful, right? This is why God actually commanded Israel to celebrate feasts and festivals. Each year, God commanded Israel to celebrate Passover. Why? Because lamb is really that good? I don't know. But the reason why is because God wanted Israel to remember that God is a liberating God. The God is the God who brought you up out of Egypt. And if I'm that God, what are you afraid of? I'm still that God. I'm still the God who rescues you. I'm still the God who frees you and liberates you. What are some of the miracles that God has done in your life? What are some of those parts of your journey where you saw an obstacle and God saw a catapult? What are some of those parts of your journey where you thought this was a big detour, but instead it brought you exactly to where you needed to be at that time in your life? When you look back over those times, it builds our faith to take the next step into the unknown. The reason why I'm preaching this this morning is because I'm preaching this to myself. I'm preaching this because I reach places in my life routinely where I don't know what's coming next. I can't see around the corner. And I don't have an imagination for what God is seeing around the corner. I can't even imagine it. 
I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if I'm ready. And I'm, it fills me with anxiety. Some of you know that I'm in a job search right now. I literally don't know what's going to come next. I don't know. And it fills me with fear. It does. So I have to remind myself that I've been here before. That I've been in this place and God has showed up time and time again. God has never abandoned me. When I was 19 years old, I moved to New Orleans. I didn't have any money. God met me there. God saw me through that time. Some of it was rocky. Some of it was hard, difficult. But when I look back on it, I just see God. I just see the beautiful way that God saw me through. His faithfulness. His mercy. When we were literally homeless because our home was swept away in, in floodwaters, you know, we were terrified. What are we going to do next? Where are we going to live? Oshita was nine months pregnant. We were like, where are we going to have this baby? In a manger. <laughs> in a manger. But God saw us through. And now when we look back on that on that that leg of our journey, we're like, wow, look at God. Look how God blessed us in our, the community that we, that we formed in Boston. Beautiful. L.A., same thing. When I didn't get that job, devastated. And now, I'm here. I'm preaching this message without a happy ending. Sometimes we have to move forward not knowing what's coming next. That's part of the journey of faith. There's not always a guarantee that everything's going to work out. I'm preaching this message this morning because I have to practice what I preach. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm preaching this in real time. That I'm in the midst of one of these uh, legs of the journey. And I'm preaching this message because I want you guys to know that we're in this together. We're on this journey together. I've never been in one of those places in my life where God didn't surround me with, the, with, the, with his people, with the community, with the body of Christ. That if you're in that leg of the journey right now, if you're in one of those, those bends, one of those turns, one of those anxious seasons, that's what we're here for. That's why we exist. It's to be there for one another, to be God's hands and feet. We're not alone. Let's pray. God, when we think about the, uh, the amazing good news that Jesus came into this world to seek and save the lost, to show us the amazing way that the Creator God is restoring all of creation and that humanity is part of that restoration, part of that new creation. When we think about that good news and when it hits home in our personal lives, in our individual journeys, we are reminded, God, that you are sovereign. That you are providentially overseeing all of our lives. That you are in the midst of our lives, weaving it together. Even those choices that we make, which lead us down the wrong path. Even those obstacles placed in our path by the enemy. Even just circumstances, random circumstances that have nothing to do with, with uh, your providential hand or our choices.
God, we know that in the midst of all of that, you and your wisdom and your grace and your people and your spirit are guiding us, providing for us, leading us, that you are with us on the journey. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for memory, for remembering those times when you showed up. Help us to take time this week to reflect on how you've seen us through on this journey. And help us to rely on one another, to open up to one another about where we're at on this journey. I pray for this community, that we would be a community that journeys together. That we would be with each other through the hard times and through the great times to celebrate. And I pray that this community would be a light to our neighborhoods, to the city, to the world. All of this we give to you. We submit to you. We lay it at your feet. We ask that you would take it and multiply it. Bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're going to...